I want to continue on this series that we have about love. And uh, again, that's my card that I bought from the store to show you that in this kind of love that I'm talking about, it's not a Valentine's Day kind of love. It's not a Cupid kind of love. It's a Christ-like kind of love. And we're just looking at what, what does that look like in, in the context of everyday life in our Scripture text for this entire series is 1 Corinthians 13. I've told you that I believe it is one of the most beautiful chapters in all of the Bible. Uh, in the New Testament, it is my favorite. Psalms 23 is my favorite in the, in the Old Testament. And I've asked my wife, Brantley, to come. I'm going to let Brantley read it. Go ahead. Read the text to us. <laughs> okay. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account the wrongs suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy that will be done away, if there are tongues that, that will cease, if there's knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. So today what I want to do is I want to focus our attention on one set of words. You'll find them in verse 5. And it says, love does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. And I want to ask your permission today to speak into your heart about this. Set it in the context of the scripture in which it was written. And then I've got to trust you to take this. And I want to ask you to apply it to every single aspect of your life. Ooh, that's a tall order, right? Will you take it that seriously? Will you take it seriously enough today to tell you that I'm going to set it in the context from which it was written? I'm going to create some things for us to begin to think about. But ultimately, you've got to take this home. And you've got to apply it to every relationship that you're in. You've got to apply it to your family. You've got to apply it to your kids if you have them. You've got to apply it when you go to work. You have to apply it to, to this church family. If you're visiting, if you're from another church, if you're listening to us online, you've you got to apply it everywhere. That's, that's how it is meant to, to be. And so that word, that phrase that says, love does not seek its own. I wonder if there are times in our lives when we think that we are acting in love, but what we are actually doing is trying to the, control the environments in which we're in. Can I ask you to think about that? That what we have called love is oftentimes us trying to control 
really the uncontrollables, right? Have you thought about how many things you can control in life? Man, you could put them in the palm of our hands. The things that we can control. I can't control the sun coming up and the moon at night. I can't control those. I can't control you. There's so little I can control. I can't control my wife. I tried the first part of our marriage. She said it wasn't going to be like that. Can't control your kids, really, can you? You try, and then they become more uncontrollable. There's so few things that we control in life, but that idea of love seeks its own is this thing of I want what I want. I need to to control my environment. And so the environment in which 1 Corinthians 13 is written is this great coming together of all kinds of people. Now, people we can't control, right? You ever tried to control the people around you? They just won't act right, will they? Huh? I mean, I don't even have to ask you where you work. I know those folks don't act right. You come home every night and talk about what they should have, shouldn't have done. Right? They won't act right. Well, let me set you the context for 1 Corinthians 13 of what Paul is dealing with in this church. It is the coming together of the entire world. All cultures are coming together in this thing called church, and they're bringing all of their baggage with them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just bringing all their stuff with them. And so you really have to go over to to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 to see... Who is beginning to come together in this thing called the church? You see, God is now extending His family beyond just the Jewish people, and He's making it because of Jesus available to everybody. Like, nobody's off limits. No culture is off limits. And so we hear it in in Galatians 3.28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Now, here was what he was trying to tell them, for you are all one in Christ. But that takes a little getting used to. Because when you bring those folks together, when you brought the the Jews with the Greeks, they didn't get along. Their cultures were different. Their traditions were different. All of the things that they did, completely different. When you brought male and female together, they've forever been different, hadn't they? We just kind of see the world differently. They were bringing free people and slaves. Now, this was the kind of slavery that in terms of uh, like the Romans would invade and take a a group of people hostage, take them as, as slaves. If you couldn't pay off a debt, there wasn't a chapter 13 bankruptcy. You went into slavery until you could pay it off. And this is the environment. There are free people and there are people who were who were bound. And somehow they're supposed to be able to get along together. Wow. And there's young and old. And then when the Holy Spirit came, he brought gifts to the church. But he didn't really put them all in the same spots. And so he gave people different gifts. I started thinking about our own church here. Here we are in Chester, South Carolina, small little southern town. You would think that we'd all be just exactly alike, but that's not the case. I was going to have some of you come and I was going to show just how diverse this congregation is. And a few of you got sick. You're from home. Hello. I hope you feel better. (laughs) So we're not going to parade anybody up front. But I I just want to mention a a few things to you. 
You know, it's, we're four months in to bringing two cultures together, one predominantly Caucasian, one predominantly African-American, and bringing those two cultures together. We've got some traditions that are different, right? We have some cultures that are, that are different, and we're trying to bring those to, together. We have uh, our, our Hispanic crowd. I was going to bring Molly up. She's from the big city of Los Angeles. Grew up uh, in this Hispanic culture. And now she's here. She's married to an African-American named Barron, who many of you know and, and love, who's kind of traveled all over the world, but his, his roots were here in, in Chester. We have uh, Alice. I just saw you. I'd been looking for you to see if you were here. We have Alice, who is here from Brazil, who married Justin and, and moved here. We have our Eastern European family, the Krasnovs. They're here from Estonia and the Ukraine. Victor, he served in the Russian army. I think that's cool. He was a Soviet soldier. Now he's here. When they had a chance to get out during the detente of Gorbachev and Reagan, they came. Where did they end up? They ended here in Chester, South Carolina. Hmm. And somehow we've got to bring all of those cultures together, right? We, we bring the context of our lives together. And so we're male and we're, we're female. We, we've got those who are rich and, and those who are struggling to make it every day, trying to, trying to figure out if they can just make it through with all their bills. You know what I'm talking about, right? I've been there too. You just hope that the, the money doesn't run out before the month does. Right? Alongside of those who are doing quite, quite well. That's a whole different perspective on life that we bring. There's, there's young and there's old. I, I look in the back and Kimberly's got little Nathan back there. and He hadn't been born very long, so he's a, he's a young guy. And she's a first-time mom. Any of y'all remember what it's like to be a first-time mom? The world changes, doesn't it? Yeah, that becomes your world for a while. And then I think about Miss Joyce. Miss Joyce proudly says that she's 80-ish. She's not careful, almost 90-ish. Kids are grown. Grandkids really grown. And so when we get together, we, we bring those things. And then you've got these different gifts that have to come to the table this morning. I'm sitting there praying, and I felt like in some ways that this message was in my heart, but I wasn't sure if I had language for it yet. I don't know if any of that makes sense to you or not, but there's sometimes something stirring in you, but you're not sure if you can communicate it to, to people. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, you know what, God, I could still back out of this thing. I mean, I could. I could just make up some excuse, and, and I, I wouldn't do it. I said, Lord, you need to confirm for me that, that I need to preach this. I'm sitting over there, and some of you may have seen Jeff Lucas walks over there to me, and he says, I just need to tell you that Ember is this place that has young and old. And he had my attention right there. He said, we have black and white. We have rich and poor. He said, God has brought them here to Ember. And he said, you preach the word to teach us how to love each other. Amen. My goodness. My God. He didn't know. I didn't tell him. We bring, we bring all those things together. And I think about our nation right now. And it seems to be one of those times where we're the most divided over these things. 
you know, that, that our, our young and our old are further than ever apart. Our, our cultures are further than ever apart. And I, I need to let you know that when I was in college, I, my major was political science. But if you were to ask me, are you, Kevin, are you a Democrat or a Republican at this point in my life? Not trying to defend either the Democrats or the Republicans. I would say I am nauseous of both. <laughs> I'm, I'm just really fed up. I, I'm, I really want to turn in my voting card. You know, <laughs> I just I just want to turn it in and like I could care less because I don't think you love the people you stand for. I, I don't think the government is the answer. And I'm not telling you you got to turn in your voting card. I'm still debating on whether I might turn mine in for real. But there is only one hope. And that is Christ Jesus. There is only one hope of people ever seeing anything good in each other, and that is Christ Jesus. And so when we look at the world, and when we look at even what God is doing here in Ember, I said, my goodness, how much it looks like what was going on in 1 Corinthians 13. That they're trying to, to bring these things together. And there were, there were some problems going on down there. There's some problems in our country, right? Yeah, there, there's always some, some problems of how you bring things together. And so when you look at the Corinthian church, there was disunity and there was division because of them clashing over their cultures. The Jews couldn't get along with the Greeks. The Greeks couldn't get along with the Jews. They had different rituals, different ways they did things. There was sin in the church. Thank goodness we've all taken care of that. We'll move on, right? The church has always struggled. What do you do with sin in the church? You know, we don't, we don't want to tolerate it. But at the same time, we, we don't want to come down so hard that we destroy the life of the one we're trying to save. So there's this tension between how, how do we handle when things come up? And it's been a constant struggle since 1 Corinthians 13. There are doctrinal disputes. Even when 1 Corinthians 13 is written, they're beginning to wonder some of the things that Jesus said and what He did and who He was, and they're starting to argue over it. They're starting to have some, some personal preferences. Some would say, I'm, I'm with Paul. Others say, I don't, I don't care nothing about Paul's preaching. I'm, I'm of Apollos. I don't know if any of y'all do this, but you're like, I'm, I'm of Pastor D. <laughs> I, I am too. <laughs> So I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Pastor D guy. I'm a Pastor Kevin guy. You could transfer that up here. I'm an Amy person or I'm an I'm a Ebony person or a Chris person or a Crystal person. You, you start having these personal preferences for things. They had some personal preferences down there in 1 Corinthians. And they couldn't bring all these gifts together. I don't know how much you know about the gifts, but let me just explain it this way real fast. The Holy Spirit pours out His gifts, and you have one whether you know it or not. You can be this little gift mix. There's like this toolbox of gifts that you can carry into whatever situation you're in. You know, you may need a word from God, a word of knowledge. You, you may need to pray for someone, for them to be healed, whatever it may be. But there's something that arises to the top. And in almost every church, what you'll find is there are those who are passionate about reaching the lost. You ever met them? Yeah. We would call that the, the gift of evangelism. And every week, what they're looking for is, did you give an invitation? Because we need to make sure everybody had a chance to get saved today. 
That's what they're waiting for. We've got to get the lost saved. And then there are those who have this gift of teaching, and they're like, oh, we've got to rightly divide the Word of God. We've got to preach truth, so we've got to stick to the Word. And they're measuring whether or not the, the sermons are on point or not. And then we've got the, the prophets. They're checking to see where the Spirit of God is and if we're moving with the, with the Spirit of God. And you begin to bring all those together. And if you're not careful, you know what you'll have? Chaos. <laughs> because everybody is seeking their own. And what I want to ask is, are you living life seeking your own? When you show up in your family, are you seeking your own? When you go to work, are you seeking your own? When you come to church, are you seeking your own? And so then, what are we to do? You look at all of that, and you almost have to look up at God and go, God, I don't think this was a good idea. I'm not sure what you had in mind. This is not a good idea. I wonder if Paul ever looked back at that early church and went, oh, this is bad. This is really, I don't think this is going to work. God, do you have a plan B? No, there's no plan B. And you begin to, you begin to look at that situation and go, God, what are you going to do? And before we talk about that, I want to ask you, under your current situation, what would you do? What would you do to fix the problem? And sometimes we will light into that situation, and we're going to fix it. I got any fixers in the room? Uh-oh, I think if you're laughing, you're guilty. Is that it? And certainly if you raise your hands, you're guilty. <laughs> yeah, that you're like, we, we got we to gotta fix this thing. And so what you be, begin to do is you begin to want to get everybody to, to think and act and behave a, a certain way. We got to create some, some order out of this thing. We're going to begin to control it. Do you know what the definition of control is? It is you have an idea of, uh, about the external world and you're trying to match that external world with what you have inside of your head. How it's supposed to be. You know how your husband's supposed to act. Now come on. You know how your kids are supposed to do things. You know what they're supposed to do in life. Right? Yeah. You know how your boss is supposed to run things. So we, we begin to light in, and we're going we're gonna to fix this thing. And we begin to, to seek our own. And if you want to see, I want to keep it in the context of the church for just a little bit. You begin to see what happens. Even in the context of us bringing two churches together, it really does require some effort. Pastor D and I and, and some of our leaders are sitting down to talk about, okay, it's time to revisit this thing. We've been at it for about three or four months now, and we want to make sure that what we're doing is celebrating the diversity of what God has done here, that, that we don't overlook something. And so we, we've got to be conscious of that. But a lot of times what you can do is say, you know what, it's just hard. I'm white, I'm going to go on back to my white church. Oh, I'm about to get myself in trouble, right? Huh? I'm black. I'm just going to go on back to my African-American church because I'm comfortable there. Right? I, I know what to do there. When I get there, I know what's going to happen. We're just going to do that. Or, or if it's a doctrinal issue. You want to know why we had so many denominations? Because we couldn't agree on what the Bible said. And so we went over here and we huddled up and we called this group one thing. And we said, this is what we're going to believe. And another group ran over here and huddled up, and they said, this is what we're going to believe. 
Another group ran over here, and this is what we're going to believe. And now I don't even know how many denominations there are. And then sometimes we'll huddle up among the gifts. You can see some churches, and they are strictly evangelistic. Every week they're going to reach the, the lost. That's what they're going for. You can find a teaching church, and they're going to rightly divide the Word of God. You can find a prophetic group. And we huddle up around those things. Why? Because what we really want to do is control our environment. We, we don't want it to get spooky. We don't want it to get weird. We want some consistency in life. If you ever hear yourself saying, I just want to get things back to some consistency where I know what to expect. You know what you're doing? You're probably trying to control some things. And what I found that as we try to control things, we become more and more isolated in life. So we begin to separate over our color, over our race. We begin to separate over our beliefs. And we begin to separate over these micro-beliefs. I wonder who is the architect of that. Hmm, let's think on that for a minute, shall we? Who, who do you think is the architect of that <laughs> dividing and separating? I don't like what they're doing. I'm going to go over here. Do you know what's going to happen when you find the place, the work, the church, the whatever that looks like you, that thinks like you, that operates like you in the gifts of the Spirit? You will be the only person at your church. So if that's how you want to function, let me go on and tell you what you need to do. Go on at your house and put up the First Baptist Church of Mark. Don't go. <laughs> Unless you just like it. The, the, the Third Presbyterian Church of Jimmy. You'd have to have your own place. And you need to know that it's the enemy that is trying to divide everyone. He's trying to separate you out from everyone. So what would God do? God, we got all these people. We got all these different opinions. I'm scared, God, when I go to work. People don't think like me. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about my family. They're not headed down the road. I think they ought to head down. I'm, I'm concerned about my family, my nation. What are we supposed to do? What if we look to Jesus? And what if in Jesus we find that here he is on a cross, not trying to get everyone to do exactly what he says, but he says, I'm going to die and give my life for everyone. This is, this is someone who is dying and giving themselves. They're giving their life away. The reason I was so torn up before I, I got up here is I remembered one day I was at home and I was praying. It was just me and I was, I was kneeling. You ever knelt down on the side of your bed? You know, and you're up here on the bed and you're praying and I'm in that posture and I catch this vision of Christ on the cross. And it was like it was in black and white. It wasn't like it was in color, but it was kind of hazy and black and white in just my mind's eye. And as I began to see him on the cross, my heart was broken. 
because I saw all the pain that he'd gone through, all the abuse. There he is. He's crucified. He's nailed. He's been beaten. He's been whipped. He's, he's naked. There he is on the cross. And I was picturing him there. And I was beginning to just fill up with emotion. And I, I started calling out out loud. I'm like, Jesus, you got to come down. Come down. Quit. I wanted him off the cross so bad because I was so uncomfortable with him up there hanging the way that he was. You know why? Because he was hanging from me. Because he was dying for my sin and my selfishness, me wanting it all my way. And there he was hanging on the cross. And I was like, you got to come down. And I could hear the Holy Spirit say, he can't come down until it's finished. He can't, he can't come down until it's finished, until he's shed his blood for our sins. He can't come down until he does this. You know what put him on the cross? Love. Love put him there. For God so loved. Love put him on the cross. Love is what held him on the cross. When people say, you ought to come on down. say, I can't come down. I can't come down until it's finished. Till I have paid for the sins of who? The ones who will do what I tell them to do. That's how we give out love sometimes, right? We piece and parcel it out. I can't love everybody. can't give them that. I'm going to love the ones that I believe will change. I'm going to invest in the ones that I think will do something with my love. You ever done that? I ain't messing with them because I done told them twice what they ought to do. Right? You told them twice what they should do. And so then what do we begin to do? We know how powerful love is. We'll use it as a weapon. We'll use love as a weapon. And we'll say we know how powerful it is. We know how powerful it is to belong to something that when somebody doesn't want to do what I want them to do, I just give them the cold shoulder. You know that silent treatment some of y'all famous for? I don't have anybody in mind, okay? But that's where the silent treatment comes from. Silent treatment says, I'm going to use my silence to try to control you to do something I want you to do. I'm going to, I'm going to leave. I ain't got to put up with this. I, ain't got to, I don't have to put up with this. I, I'll just leave. Picture the cross. He says, I got to stay there. Love put him there and love held him there until it was finished. And this offer of love is not for just those who will believe He died for the sins of the whole world. You get to make a choice. And if you choose to believe in what He did, Scripture says He gives you the right to be called children of God. And then if you become children of God in Galatians 5.1, you don't have to turn over there, or you can if you like, it says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. I'm going to say that one more time. Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. He went to all that expense. And then he looks at you and you're like, okay, what do I need to do? And he looks at you and he says, you can do whatever you want to do. You see, some of you didn't, didn't know that, did you? You thought that, that he died for you and then you had to submit under this huge set of rules to follow. And you've been under that system but if you ever notice, when people look at Jesus and they ask Him, what am I supposed to do? I just got a miracle. What am I supposed to do? He said, go your way. You know what that means? Go do what you want to do. 
You know why? Because love can't control you. Love doesn't control. Love sets free. Did you hear that? Love doesn't control. Love sets free. And so he says, you can, you can, you're free. And if you're like me, you're like, well, well what, what do I do? He says, you can do whatever you want to do. Well, well where, where should I go? You can go wherever you want to go. And then you have to stop and think, oh my goodness, am I really free? And if you have truly experienced the love of God, if you have tasted of the love of God, and I sure hope you have, then when you're sitting there, I wonder what I should do, and I wonder where I should go, you say, you know what? I have never experienced love like this before. Jesus, if it's okay, I'd like to go with you. You see, that's what love does. And everybody who follows Christ is following not because they have to, but because they chose to. Because the power of love is stronger to hold people than our ability to control them. We don't realize the power of love. Love is so powerful that it sets free. And when you set that person free, what you find is if they encountered that true love, they can't help but love you back. I don't know if any of you have had kids, but we've been telling Caden we loved him since he was born. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Just constantly telling him that we love you. We were talking the other day. He was, he was doing something. I think Bradley was dropping him off at school, and he got out of the car, and she said he was in public. And he looked back at me, and he said, Mama, have a good day. I love you. Come on. If any of y'all are mamas and daddies, it just doesn't get any better than that. You know, you've been saying it, you've been saying it. Now, nobody, you can't walk up to your kid and say, now, you know what, when you get out of the car and all your friends are watching, I need you to say that I love you, okay? Because I need everybody to know that we got a good relationship. All right, so when you get out, say it real loud. Yeah, you can imagine how that's going to work, right? Yeah, that's how we treat, that, that's what religion does. But what true love does says, I love you. Let you get out of the car. And if that person has experienced real love, what does Scripture say? We love because He first loved us. And so it draws us in. And so I want to I challenge you a little bit today. When all these different things are going on and we're trying to bring all these different cultures together, I draw you back to the thing that Paul said in 1 Corinthians. I draw you back to love. That you would look at that and I would say... In every place and part of our life. Here's what our country needs. Here's what your workplace needs. Your family. Here's what this church needs. Love is patient. And love is kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. That it gives of itself. And then as it does that. We begin to find that as we bring these different cultures together, there are so many amazing things that I am learning. It seems like every time I sit down and I, I talk about race, I find things that I appreciate and, and things that I've never seen before. And I'm like, I'm, I'm better for it. 
And then we, we come together and we bring young and old. We bring those new mamas and those older mamas together. And we get this beautiful thing of how they see the world. We bring these gifts together. And we got teachers who are concerned about the Word. And we got prophets who want to make sure that we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we got evangelists who are saying, don't forget about the lost, Kevin. And you know what ends up happening? We're more beautiful than we could ever be alone. We're, yeah, that's good enough. Somebody can clap. Yeah, yeah you clap there. Yeah. We're, we're more beautiful than we've ever been before. You see, we don't need people going on the news and talking. What we need to do is just get together and love. Yeah? We, it's, it, there's no time for talking if all we're doing is, is pontificating. When we, begin to, when we begin to yield to each other, when we begin to submit to one another, when we say, what do you see? What do you think God is doing? How would you do it? I want to speak to our leaders for a minute, and I want to tell you how grateful I am for the leaders that are in this church. Some of you, you don't see them all the time, because you know, like Audrey and Kelly now, a lot of times they'll be somewhere and you won't even see them. There are people working in Kingdom Kids right now, and, and you don't see them. But I can tell you that I've watched this group of leaders, and they have worked hard on this. They have decided that we're going to bring our gifts together and we're going to watch God do something beautiful. Our older folks know that it's great if they encounter God, but we've not fulfilled our destiny if we don't pass it to our kids. You want to know why Jeff is so passionate about these kids? Because Jeff knows that one day he'll be gone. And Jeff wants to make sure that these kids continue to love God and to love people. That's why he's passionate. We, we dig, like that message two weeks ago, we dig for the, the good in each other. We, we not digging for dirt. You hear that? <laughs> we're, we're not digging for dirt because anybody can find dirt. We got leaders who are looking out there going, I wonder who the next leaders are. Who is it that needs a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of promotion to go and do this thing that God has, has put in their hearts? And so I challenge you back to love. This is how they will know my disciples, that they love one another. I read this quote. I'll leave you with that. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. You want to know what is driving things? It is the love or lack of it that is driving things.